Before we get rolling into today's podcast, I want to tell you about our awesome sponsors that uh, keep this thing free for you guys. So first we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there. Check it out. Uh, You can get signed up for uh, Traded Hunts where you put in your location, the kind of birds you're after, you know, the type of things that you do. And uh, you can search around on there, see other people, their areas, what they go after, and you can talk with each other and get linked up and trade hunts with each other. So rather than hiring an outfitter or a guide, if you're on a budget or kind of want to do a little bit of a DIY thing, you can get linked up with some people, go hunt their area, they come out and hunt in your area. It's a really cool thing. Also on there, there's some forums, you know, duck hunting, waterfowl hunting in general, different tips and advice, things like that. And they also have a lot of merchandise, really cool stuff. And in their merchandise, they have the Salty Fowl line of clothing, where 100% of the profits from that go to uh, Eider Research out there on the coast. So really cool cause. Go check it out. Go buy some stuff. Get on some trade of hunts. You definitely won't regret it. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano. He's up there in northeast Kansas, and he uh, specializes in waterfowl, turkey, and deer. You can check him out on Instagram at Steady Wing Outfitters. Uh, and if you want to book a hunt, you can give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. They're over there in North Dakota. They're making a bunch of awesome hunting and fishing content. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Go check them out for some high-quality stuff. They also have a website with some merchandise and other things on it. Uh, the website is 701pursuit.com. That's the numbers, 701pursuit.com. So check them out, all the places that you have social media. They're on there somewhere. Next, we have Bulldog Baits. It's over there in western Oklahoma. Uh, they're making crankbaits, jigs, soft plastic, spoons, jig heads, sinkers, anything you need for fishing. They've got it. So you can check them out on uh, Instagram. It's bulldog underscore baits. And if you want to go on their website to order some stuff, it's bulldog-baits.square.site. So if you're needing anything, definitely, definitely go check them out. Also, on the same note, we have Stump Thumper Baits. Their website is stumpthumperbaits.com. They also have soft plastics, jigs, all that type of stuff. Want to check them out too on Instagram. Their handle is at stumpthumperbaits. They're also Facebook, anywhere else. Now we have Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's over in the San Antonio area. Uh, He's hunting ducks, geese, anything waterfowl you guys want to get on over there down in Texas. You can give him a call at 361-494-7868. You can also find him on Facebook. Uh, His name is just Waylon Johnson. See what he's been up to. Check out the cool birds down there. All that good stuff. And lastly, we have my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. Uh, I specialize in retrievers, but I train all sorts, basic obedience, force fetch, waterfowl upland, anything you're looking to get done with your dog, I can help you out with. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the normal places. It's H-I-L-I-N-E retrievers. And then if you're looking for some advice or looking to uh, get set up with some training, give me a call. My number is 406 seven eight three seven zero eight three thanks a lot thanks to our sponsors go check them all out and enjoy the show well, 
took wing Shotgun singing A pointing dog down in the old logging road And then he got three And looked back grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload The country was cold where the sun was All right. Welcome back to the Woods and Water Podcast. This is Garrett. I'm back with Wayne Saunders. We're going to continue on. Uh, now we're going to roll into some of his cases, some of the things he's seen and done. So I guess first things first, what is your biggest case? What was the biggest one? Uh, when you talk about biggest, uh, I'll tell you I did a podcast. It's probably my number two podcast. Uh, like literally, I, my first one I did in my wife's closet. Oh, she says it's both of our closets, I guess. So because of the acoustics, and you can understand that. Uh, and I talked to myself to a recorder for an hour straight, which was an act of God. But as you can tell, I have the gift to gab. And the second podcast I get I did was the Game Warden's uh, best stories. And, and generally speaking. Most game wardens, their their best stories are early in their career because they're like you. They're young. They're hungry. Um, you know, you could say the best podcasters are young, too, because they're young. They're hungry. Uh, they're, 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 they're doing everything and anything. And then they're, you know, recording 8 o'clock at night, uh, you know, across the country. So, um, but yeah, so the, my, my best case, um, so we got two different night hunting cases in one night which is pretty good. I'm sure there's game wardens out there that have done better. And I think I've talked to a few, but for me, it went from an investigation night hunting case to a decoy night hunting case. And it was, um, pretty epic. So my Lieutenant, Lieutenant Stoll had always taught me, um, to become friendly, to learn the people. It's kind of like the operation game thief, but if, if you know people, people will tell you stuff. And sometimes I had a farmer that wouldn't want to be a rat, but he would tell me stories. If I was going to poach a moose, it would be a small moose. I said, well, a small moose, like a calf moose? Yeah, a calf moose. He's, he's like, so it would fit in the back of my trunk of my car. And I was like, well, what kind of car would you drive? Oh, it'd be a Buick so-and-so uh, with a big trunk. So, and, and without being a rat, he's giving me information so that he knew. So, but he, in his mind, he could justify it. So I, I built these relationships as a young officer because that was taught. And I got a call uh, one night um, about a, a shot, just heard a shot, a report of a shot at night. So, um, so I investigated it and we were scheduled to go out on a decoy, work a decoy that night. And when I told my Lieutenant, he was like, yeah, can you do that in the morning? And I'm like, Hey, you taught me to build these relationships. So if I don't go investigate this, um, don't I lose credibility with the hunters or the sportsmen or the community people that I didn't investigate it to the next day? And he was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So, okay, well, I'll wait down the bottom of the hill for you. Okay, so I go up and I investigate and I knock on, uh, I knock on one house first and they hadn't heard a shot. So I went to the second house which I kind of suspected it may be. And uh, Vern answers the door. And Garrett, you ever smelled deer? Smelled deer? Smelled deer, yeah. Once or twice. Been around a couple. Yeah, and it's 
it's a very uh, unique smell, especially when it when it hits you in the face. So, Vern opened the door, and the first thing I smell is deer. And I look down, and he's wearing a, a knife sheath, and there's no knife in it. And he doesn't want me to see his hands. He's got his hands in the back, and he's like, oh, Wayne, how you doing? You know, come on in, you know. And he's like, I got to go use the bathroom. I'll be right out. So talk to the missus there. And I go in, and his wife's there, and she can't talk. She she is like, uh, that, 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 uh, she cannot talk. She is like, uh, like you said, you know, the game warden's right there. And she she can't, she can't talk. Uh, <laughs> and Vern comes out. I don't know how long he's been in there scrubbing his hands. And um, he was like, um, he's like, so how can I help you? And I'm like, well, got a, you know, a report of a shot fired in the area, just checking out the houses and stuff. And he's like, oh, we haven't heard a thing. No, no. I said, oh, really? So um, <laughs> he's like, he's like, nope, haven't heard a thing. I said, well, can I look around? And he's like, yeah, you can look around. Yeah. I said, he goes, where do you want to look? I said, your garage. Oh, oh, I can't let you look in the garage. I said, why is that, Vern? Oh, I don't want you to get confused between legal deer and illegal deer. And I said, Vern, isn't, isn't that my job? So to, to decide between legal deer and illegal deer? And he's like, I know, I know, but I can't let you to search the garage. I can't have you look in the garage. I said, okay. Can I look around the house? Yeah, you can look around the house. So I said, okay, I'm going to go grab my flashlight. So he comes out to my cruiser. I called down to my lieutenants at the bottom hill. I said, um, and I let Vern listen to this. You know, I'm like, yeah, we're going to need a search warrant here. He's like, okay. I said, well, I'm going to take a look around the house and then probably secure the premise. So, so now my lieutenant's on the way up and me and Vern take a walk around the house. And Vern is like a lot of, I think, these, these poachers now that get away with a lot uh, is a backyard poacher. So he has a spotlight set up on a pile of grain. And I knew he had a, I, I knew that this went on, you know, cause he could shoot them legally during the day. So I went around to his house and, uh, kind of cut a drag mark. So, and I'm like, Hey, Vern, this is a drag mark. He goes, Oh, that's from my son's deer last week. And his son had shot a deer there last week, probably at night too. But that's speculation on my part. I can't prove that. And nor did I ever try to prove it, but, uh, I might have tried to prove it, but I didn't prove it. Okay. <laughs> so but I, I reached down and I can see blood on the ground. So I reached down, I put my hand in it, and it is fresh. It's it's like dripping blood. And I put my my flashlight on my hand. I go, Vern, this is fresh blood. And he's like, he looks at me, he goes, Oh, you got me. You got me. <laughs> that's all it and took. That's all it took. So he goes and he, he pulls open the garage door and there's a doe hanging there that's scun and it's bucks only now so that you can't even have a doe so he shoot you know so my lieutenant comes up we seize the deer and i, I need the firearm and he goes says there's right over the, the the entrance there's a there's a 22 hanging there and he goes and he grabs that and he hands it to me i said burn did you use this to shoot the deer yeah it's the one i used i said there's dust all over this gun burn so he's like, that's the one I used. I'm like, Vern, there's dust on the trigger of this gun. And he's like, that's the one I used. I said, okay. So I knew the local guy I gave the deer to. I said, the butcher, I'm like, hey, butcher this deer. If you find the round, let me know. So, yep. So he finds the round. 
thank God. Um, he gives it to me. So, and it's a, either a, it's a two forty three round. So I do a search warrant for the house. <laughs> so uh, the next day, I'm, I'm knocking on Vern's door again. Vern, you gave me the wrong gun. No, I didn't give you the wrong gun. Yes, you did. This is the round that we recovered out of. It was out of a you know a, a, a two forty three. It wasn't out of a twenty two. So I said, you can eat, we can either do this the smooth way or the hard way. I can go through all your drawers. I can do this looking for this 243. Or you can just go get the 243 and give it to me. He went and got the 243 and brought it back to me. So that was that was a great, great uh, case. I was so psyched. Uh, a good investigation case. So, But the night's not through yet because my lieutenant, we had planned to work in a, a decoy. And now it's it's probably 11 o'clock, maybe between 11 and midnight. And so we meet my sergeant. It's me, the sergeant, lieutenant, and, and I get a spot picked out that I want to work. So, And he tells me, he's like, oh, you're targeting these guys, aren't you? And I'm like, yep, that's what I'm targeting them. But if someone else shoots my decoy, I'll arrest them. But, yeah, I know they're doing illegal activity in this area. I've got information. So, yeah, I'm targeting them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I guess, you know, you can throw it out. You can target the information. You know, and if it's true information, it's great. If it's if it's bad information and you get somebody else, it's wrong. You still get somebody else. So so we throw the decoy out there at about 2 a.m. Here comes a truck down, you know, and puts on the old brakes and backs up, shines the field and powwow. You know, here comes the freaking gun. And, and I was a little nervous because I saw the truck come out. I actually hit the I, I was a chase vehicle that time. And I actually, uh, and that's a sucky job when you're working decoys as a chase vehicle. So, because you're all there by yourself. It sucks. You know, you're hanging out. The other guys are on the ground and they usually can talk back and forth until someone comes. So, but, you know, being the chase vehicle, you're, you're, and I had touched the, touched the brake lights, which kind of were too dang bright. It didn't affect anything, but in my, my mind, I was like, oh no, I just screwed up this whole thing because my foot waved over and I hit that, uh, the brake light so but i hear the gunshot and usually when the gunshot goes you just go you don't you don't wait for anything so i roll down there and it's the guys that i was looking for sure enough um the the, the driver is intoxicated um the guy shooting is intoxicated and uh he's got his father's browning uh very expensive gun too that he shot our decoy with so um the re- driver gets arrested for uh dwi plus uh, aiding and assisting of an illegal deer. So he gets charged the same night hunting case as the guy that pulls the trigger because he aided and assisted it with it. So so he gets charged too. So I get two night hunting cases off of those guys, and I get Vern, and they show up at court at the same time. It was just great because uh, the guys that we got, because I had the, we had the deer in the back of the pickup, and the, the guys, they were younger guys in their 20s, and they were like, so that was your deer in the back of their truck that night that was all scut out, and he's like, yeah (laughs) but they all pled um yeah well i lost her license for three years so (laughs) those were that was a good that was a good night that was probably the best uh cases you know as a young warden uh doing an investigation night hunting case and then getting a decoy night hunting case in the same night getting really three night hunters you know together it doesn't usually get that good, at least in New Hampshire. I, I know some other guys have made some significant uh, night hunting cases in one night, but that's a, that, that's a pretty full night for a game warden. So those, those are the ones that are 
pretty special to me. I've had, you know, a ton of cases throughout my career that I really enjoyed. And uh, especially as a lieutenant, it was great. I got to bang around when guys had cases. I'd go there and we would work them. And I didn't get any of the paperwork. So I really liked it because I love <laughs> to investigate things. I love to peel back that onion and uh, find out what, what makes things tick. We had another case, and I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, with Mark Ober we talked about it because uh, I never like to change plans. If we got a plan, I want to stick with a plan unless there's something seriously gone. So we are trying to do a, another case on this guy that's been uh, shooting out his back uh, backyard. So he's got a bait pile and everything, and he spotlights out and he shoots deer out his backyard. So we're going to do a nighttime surveillance on his camp with him there. So, but it starts snowing like squalls. Like you wouldn't believe the snow squalls that are coming in. And the guys are like, are we going to cancel? I'm like, no, we're not going to cancel. We're not canceling. The greatest thing was when we got into our position, it snowed enough to cover our tracks. It was awesome. So the guys got in position. They got even too close actually, um, because this guy was known to us to just shoot off into the woods too. So, but they were so close. These other guys wheeled down in, bring some illegal deer down to this guy's house, uh, and they back up to the garage and offload these illegal deer. Well, we should have took them down right then and right there. But some reason, the portable radios weren't working, and we weren't that far apart either. But we couldn't. We could. They weren't communicating, so we didn't know what was going on. They wanted us to come down, and we were going to hit them together. We would have had four wardens there. It would have been perfect caught them red-handed it would have been awesome um but that didn't happen because our radios weren't working whether it was this cold or they were laying in the snow but they they watch them unload four deer into this garage at this camp and the nice thing is that we followed the tracks because they came back they told us everything they had seen so now we take the tracks because there's only one set of tracks and we track these guys back to the other camp so that night we run and we went, we do search warrants. So we go to the fire department and we do search warrants. We write out our search warrants. We call judges. We get everything signed, ready. So we execute them in the morning. So, and we're in the northern part of New Hampshire. Border Patrol actually is right there. So we incorporated Border Patrol into our, you know, executing the search warrants as well because you need all the resources you can get. Um, and sometimes when you don't have local PDs, you know, the feds uh, work out really good in support. So we hit simultaneously, we hit these camps, um, both of them. We covered the four poached deer uh, and we made cases on those too. So, but that was just kind of a, one of those weird nights that, you know, things really went together well. Timing was good, except the radios didn't work and we would have rolled down in there and, and it would have, we wouldn't have had to in the search warrants. That was a lot of extra work we went to that we didn't have to. We would have caught them red handed. It would have been, it would have been great. But, kind of sucked that you have to go down now you do have to write everything you saw and get the judge involved and you know we're calling the judge at you know oh two three a.m in the morning because we want to execute these warrants like six a.m we want to as soon as the sun comes up we want to be hitting them because we don't want these deer to go away we don't know where that possible they could go away so uh we want to hit those but the snow was just great because otherwise they would have seen our tracks roll right in would they have put two and two together I don't know. Would they investigated where the tracks went? I don't know. Um, especially for the guys going down and crossing into there and setting up, they would have seen foot tracks going into that. But it snowed enough to cover everything, so it was perfect. And then we get to track those guys back that we didn't even know existed because where we were hiding. So that was that was a pretty cool case. But I've got a lot of those cases. Every game warden does. It's 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 a really cool job. Um, 
it's really fun, especially, you know, I love the investigations. I, I really do. That was, that was, that was good. And, uh, I was taught by our Colonel Kedeman Jordan, probably one of the best investigators I've ever known. And he's a real believer in that first 48. So when you got on a hot track, I nicknamed him the beagle because once he got a track, he wouldn't let it go. And we worked nonstop usually for the first 48 or until we got the case together. Um, because he's like, you know, time is precious. Evidence is getting destroyed, and we need to be on it. And uh, he's he's absolutely right. So you you work it, and you work it hard until there's nothing else to work, um, and then you can go home. <laughs> yeah. So, how often, like that decoy at night? How often does that happen? Because I'm assuming you guys aren't doing that every single night. No, no, no. You're not doing it every night. Um. <laughs> the era that I grew up in was very decoy heavy. My sergeant um, and one of the guys that I worked with were very effective. They came into decoys in the in in the beginning, so they really used them effectively and they used them a lot. So they kind of have decoyed people. And the other thing with decoys, once people hear about them, now they're on, you know, they're texting each other, they're getting on their their. Motorola bands to tell everybody around that there's a decoy here. So I think it changed as it goes. So it it depends. It ebbs and it ties, Garrett. Um, some years you may run them a lot, and other years you may just slack right off because everybody. Uh, I'll tell you the story about Johnny Johnson. Uh, <laughs> opening day of muzzleloader season, Johnny. I stop him. I'm like, Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Uh, and he's like, Oh, not very good. Um, and he was always like, I'm like, he's always an up guy. I'm like, so what, what's going on, Johnny? Oh, I was down in Keyser Meadow and there was a buck standing there. Thought it was your decoy. I started walking up to it. I kept walking, walking. I got probably 20 yards from it and then it started running from me. <laughs> so my muzzle loader misfired and, <laughs> but. But the shock on Johnny's face, I would have loved to have been there when he got well, 20 yards from him and that thing started running off. You know, and that deer was probably thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? So he, he said it wasn't a bit. It was a six-point buck, you know, standing in the middle of the field. I just figured it was your decoy, and I'm going to go make fun of it. And yeah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it wasn't our decoy. It was a real deer. So I wonder how many times that happens. And then you get these really good road hunters. And sometimes you got to be pretty sneaky when it comes to decoys. Uh, and most people aren't going to see it, but your really good guys are going to see it. And we've got some extremely good road hunters by tucking these deer into places that, you know, no one's going to see this. And all of a sudden these guys, they are so keyed in on it because they're expert road hunters and they see it and bang, they never think you'd stick a decoy there because it's almost hidden. Um, and you get these guys, which is just, it blows my mind. Uh, because I like to stick it right out there and get the, the, you know, the idiot, I guess. But these really good road hunters, we've been effective in getting those. And it, when I'm, I'm like, we're, we're never going to get anybody there. And generally, we don't. We get the the really good road hunter because he never thinks the game warden would do that because it's it's almost hidden. So, yeah. So uh, it ebbs and it ties. When they stop shooting them, we'll stop using them. Is it usually at night or daytime that you guys use those? Both. Both. We used to have, um, my lieutenant was really picky that, you know, you couldn't use the, the certain 
deer got used at night that they were, weren't shot up. And then once they got so shot up, you'd use them during the day. And then you couldn't use them during muzzleloader season because that makes big holes. And um, then he retired, and my the new lieutenant's like, just get him shot. I don't care. Big holes, little holes, we'll get, we'll fix them, you know. And so, and that actually was interesting because they hadn't seen really good decoys. They saw beat up decoys. All of a sudden, they started seeing really good decoys, and they were shooting them again um, because they they saw our old beat up ones that looked pretty sad. And now these things were epic, and they were blasting away again. Like it was like you know it was candy for him so uh <laughs> so it you know it, it's yeah we you, we run them both times so i've run them on posted property not on posted i've run spike horns i've run does i've run 10 pointers that are epic i've run and generally i i like to run real antlers to these plastic things they come with are junk so we just take deer that have been poached actually and we put those antlers on our decoys and you know they're the real deer that come from our area and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fun. So, but we mix it up. You guys ever have to pull a crossbow bolt out of one? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I figured yeah, that'd yeah. be a road hunter thing too. You just pop it out the window and it's quiet. Yeah, and if you look, uh, minivans with broken mirrors because those those um, oh minivans are a great poaching vehicle. They can get them in and out quick, and they break their mirrors because of the, 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 the they'll have it and they'll shoot it out the passenger side and it breaks their mirrors. So that's a key to a poaching vehicle when you see a broken mirror he's got a crossbow probably so (laughs) (laughs) see you're getting all the secrets there and it's it's probably not a secret you know the guy that's poaching with a crossbow no he breaks his mirror yeah because you know yeah well it makes sense but one of my first night hunting cases was a bow uh, night hunting case that the guy actually went home and got his bow and came back and slung an arrow at it um and it was funny again lieutenant stole uh, was disgusted about the spot I picked for a night hunting case. But then he told uh, the colonel, uh, Kevin Jordan was there, that we're going to teach him this is a lousy place. You know, we're going to stay here. We're going to work it. We're gonna, not going to get anything. And um, <laughs> the, the night hunter goes home. He sees, he sees the deer in the field. He goes home and gets his bow, comes back, shines the deer, and he has a bow and an arrow. And it, it's not it's not so quick and uh kevin sees that he's he's got his bow out and he's going to shoot an arrow at this deer as my lieutenant's like get rid of him get out get rid of him go out there and get rid of him and he's telling him to be quiet <laughs> and I, you get again you never hear a gunshot because the arrow goes and they jumped him had me come out i had no idea i was getting i was this chase vehicle but yeah so that might have been uh yeah the lieutenant's nephew too so that was probably Ooh. a touch spot too <laughs> So would you say that's one of your funnier cases or do you have any that are like, it's just like so dumb, it's funny type of things? Oh, dumb. It's funny. It's funny. um, Some of these guys and I'll stick with decoys. They don't comprehend what's going on. You can tell them game warden, game warden, game warden. I played tug of war with a gun one time because I I, I grabbed his shock. Was it a shotgun? Yeah, it was a shotgun. He just shot a birdie legal, and I, you know, I came out of the woods and I, I game warden, and I exposed my badge and stuff. But I grab his gun so it's safe, and I try to take it away from him, and he pulls back, and he pulls back. And we started tug of war, and I, I go to him, I get close, I'm like game warden, and all of a sudden you can see on his face, he's like, it, 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 it comprehends. He's like, oh shit, you know, and lets the gun go. Um, but it, it, you know, here I am in uniform. 
you know, I usually run camo, but as soon as the gun fires off and I'm going to approach him, I'm, I'm peeling off my camo and approaching, you know, with a jacket with a badge on it. And then he, I had a jacket with a badge on it. I played tug of war with this guy, but he wasn't comprehending uh, what was going on. So, yeah, there's been some fun cases. Uh, we, we took down some poachers one night. Again, I was the chase vehicle. We all jammed in my Tahoe. There was four of us, but you got to understand a lieutenant's Tahoe is full of stuff. So there's no room in it. So I, we're all stacked on each other. And we took a picture of that, too. Um, so these guys, I dropped them off remotely because, again, it wasn't an easy place to work. And they get the guy shining, uh, looking for deer. Um, and this is in the morning. It's probably 4 a.m. So they call me and they're shadow shadowing the truck walking. You know, they're trying to shadow it so they'll be there to take down. So and it's on a railroad bed, an old railroad bed. So they call me to come and I go flying out and I miss the road that goes down into the field. And but I know the road's there. So I just got to cut into the field and cut back to my left and I'll run that road. Well, you ever driven through a field at 45 miles an hour that it wasn't currently plowed, but it'd been plowed. Um, yeah, there's, there's some plow roads and everything. And at 45 miles an hour, that, that ain't a fun trip in a Tahoe. <laughs> so no, I might cross grain. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. That's what I was. I was going cross grain. I was banging. All my stuff was flying. Um, yeah. And I and they're, and they're yelling at me. Come. Are you coming? Are you coming? You know, I'm like, I'm coming. You know, they're they're egging me on. I get down there. And as soon as that guy sees my headlights, he's turning around. He's he's like, oh, no, there's uh, headlights on there and I'm stepping on. It. And, you know, I probably got a quarter mile to make up before I get up to him and they hit him and stop him. So he good thing he stops because uh, we had some time to make up on that. But uh, yeah. And then we come up and now it's light. And they start laughing. They saw my tracks going across the field. And they were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah, and they knew exactly what I experienced. So they, they were laughing pretty hard about that. Um, there's always, if, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. That's what I tell the guys that work for me. Because I had a lot of fun doing it. We were always having fun no matter what. If you're, if you're, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Um, are there bad spots? A absolutely. There's bad spots, but you make them, you, you laugh about them now. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there's a ton of funny stories. I just, uh, you know, you, you know, when that happens, you get asked funny stories. That's one funny story that comes to my mind because I just uh, told it not too long ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a funny story. My, my sergeant lost his tailgate one time, and you should have seen he pulled up. And uh, yeah, the colonel now, Kevin Jordan, says, uh, Hey, Doug, uh, what happened to your tailgate? <laughs> and he looks over and the tailgate is gone. So now he's off looking for his tailgate. <laughs> One night, my Doug was, uh, Doug, he, he was Polish and we always had Polish luck. I'll tell you, he had the luck of the Polish for sure. Uh, he would, he had a tendency to make a hole when he was sitting on a field at night. So he would take his truck and he would back into the edge of the field and just he would keep smashing backwards into the brush until he made a hole there so he could park his cruiser that you couldn't see. So I'm with him that night. He keeps he drives back smash, smash, smash. So finally, you know, it's usually pricker bushes and stuff around. And he's like, um, he's like, yeah, can you get out and do that? I'm like, yeah, I can't get out, Doug. What do you mean you can't get out? I said, yeah, there's an old piece of farm equipment that you are so close to that I can't open my door. I bet it'll open four inches. 
And he, you know, he was four inches away to backing into this old piece of farm equipment that was in the hedgerow. And I'm, a, he's, I'm like, are you kidding me? So and we've had, <laughs> we had another case, uh, again, Lieutenant Stoll, uh, we're setting up a decoy for a, a nighttime detail and, uh, Todd Bogardis is, uh, game warden. His cruiser lights just go off. The blue lights are going off and he's, and the lieutenant says, shut those stinking things off. He goes, I didn't turn them on. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. The lieutenant just starts grabbing off his thing and starts ripping wires out, ripping wires out. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So he got them <laughs> shut off. Uh, but the lieutenant ripped all his wires out in the process. We, we, we actually got a night hunter that night, too. Uh, <laughs> but just uh, out of the blue and... and yeah, with, with new trucks too. Adam Cheney had that same thing, setting up uh, a decoy, and the blue lights just went off, and he's trying to shut them off because it's a new truck, and he has no idea what's going on. And there's somebody coming, and he just acts like it's normal, like he's sitting in the middle of the field as they drive on by, and he just waves to him. <laughs> <laughs> so th th there's all kinds of fun. You, you got to make your fun for sure. We've had officers lose uh, snowmobiles. Um, yeah. How do you yeah, lose a snowmobile? Off the back of a trailer, oh. so you, the the bailing twine you use to tie it down broke. So, bailing twine, huh? Yeah, bailing twine. Truth. Huh. <laughs> and that's got to be a pucker factor when the chief of police calls you on the radio and says, uh, "Yeah, you want to come back and get your snowmobile? It fell off your trailer." And and, and for his sake, it it just kind of bounced back and uh, kind of gently went off the trailer. It was just sitting in the middle of the road. Was so it on no the highway or gravel. It was on the highway. <laughs> People yep. going around it. People going around it. Yep. Just sitting right there. So, yep. Oh, this is all kinds of, like I said, if you're not having fun, you're not doing something right if you're a game warden. Um, so, and I would encourage to get a guys to work together too. A, it's safer. B, you're having more fun. And if you can, you know, jump in with a guy and, and you drive each other to do more work and you do better work, I think. So I'm going to backtrack you real quick here. When you were bouncing across yep. your field going 45, what what mm -hmm. do you do afterwards? Like you just drove across somebody's field. Is that it's all fine and good because somebody broke a law? Or do you call the guy the next morning and say, hey, that's my track. Sorry about that. Well, it, it, nothing had grown in it yet. So it was the fall. It had already been cut. So there was no damage to that field whatsoever. Okay. I, I will tell you. I worked a moose decoy, and again, I was targeting somebody, and uh, it happened to be youth season, and the farmer locked the gate that I was behind. So I was locked in, and he had locked it because he was youth hunting, and he didn't want anybody else in there, and he specifically didn't want the guy in there that I was trying to, trying to target because he knew he was in there doing no good, too. So he locks the gate. So I go out. Now the gate's locked that I went in at 2 a.m., and that was fine, and now it's locked. So... I took my handy-dandy opener and opened the gate, and then I went to him a week later with some new locks. And I told the farmer, I said, hey, I, I got locked behind your gate, and I told him, and I brought you some new locks. So he, he, he was happy that I brought him new locks, but he was laughing about it because he, he told me he intentionally locked that gate to keep so-and-so out of it because he'd been up to no good. And I said, well, I was behind your gate to catch so-and-so that was doing no good. So... <laughs> And he was fine with that. He, he, you know, again, 
the relationship you have with your landowners, with your farmers is really important uh, because, you know, the wildlife, state wildlife is on their land. And to effectively enforce that, you have to use their land across it to um, and a good relationship with a farmer means, um, you know, having a fit that you're there or not having a fit that you're there or wanting you there. Um, yeah. So uh, landowner relationships as game wardens are extremely important. So um, and it becomes very <laughs> problematic when some of those landowners are actually poachers and you have to, you know, effectively use their land to catch them. Huh. Did you ever catch your moose guy? Uh, not for moose. <laughs> you did get him though. I did get him. Yep. I got him, uh, for a bear hunt. So I got him on that. <laughs> so when you have to catch a farmer on his own land, did you like luck into that or is that like you kind of know this guy's doing it on his property and you just wait for him on his stuff? Yeah. You, you, you end up knowing that it's going on for sure. Kind of like the guys and out their back door. Exactly. And that's exactly, except farmers are more exposed to the bigger landowners are more exposed because there's more people using their land. So they're, they're a lot more exposed than going out the back door. So, because that's generally really tight and, you know, no one parks in your driveway to go out to behind your house. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the farmer is, you know, generally other people are accessing his property, um, you know, lawfully or not lawfully. So, um, and generally if he's doing something wrong, yeah, that's getting relayed back. So what are your most, what were your most common like cases or investigations? What was the most common big thing uh illegal bait is common i think nationwide um hunters cheat they throw out bait uh, when they shouldn't sometimes you know there's there's baiting seasons there's uh, you know new jersey they promote baiting because they're trying to draw deer away from those residential areas so every state has different baiting sometimes there's no baiting sometimes there's restricted baiting sometimes it's open baiting but I think nationwide, that's our biggest problem when it comes to turkeys, when it comes to deer. And those are probably our two most um, hunted animals nationwide. And bait bait is the issue there. And some guys are really good at being sneaky, and some guys aren't so sneaky. So, but I think, uh, now if I had to look back on that, it might have been, you know, loaded guns and motor vehicles, shooting from the road, um, illegal bait. Um, those were the common things. Um, not so much trespass in New Hampshire. I, I know other places that they deal a lot with trespass. Uh, the Northeast has, you know, some, a lot of good open, uh, rules as far as access to land. If it's not posted, then you are assumed you can go there. So that's how it is in North Dakota too. When we waterfowl hunt. Well, now Very they've nice. got electronic posting, so like on Onyx, it'll say if it's posted or not. But um, if it was a cut field and they have to have no hunting signs every so many yards or feet or whatever it is, like on each corner and then every so many feet in between, and if there wasn't there, then it's just assumed open. So mm, Nice. So what what is your favorite type of cases that you would do? Oh, investigations for sure. 
you know, getting that information. And I'm a big proponent of Operation Game Thief, Tip Turning a Poacher. Um, there's all kinds of names for them across the country. Uh, and I, that's some of the best cases come from that. And I ended up running uh, New Hampshire's Operation Game Thief. I started a nonprofit board and now I'm president of the nonprofit board right now uh, this year. Um, so uh, I'm a big promoter, proponent of getting information from the general public for sure. Um, so that those are the best types of cases when you get information and then you start working that information. Um, sometimes it's, you know, re remotely. Uh, we worked a bear case, an illegal bear case that, you know, it was a good probably a month or two. And you would sit on that illegal bait night and day. Um, because back then we really didn't have a whole lot of trail cameras that were effective and you didn't really want to put anything out there to get caught. So we actually lived on the bear bait and we had, you know, guys that we would, you know, relieve and stuff. So we had surveillance on that and, and that's kind of gnarly actually, uh, uh, bear baiting and here you are sitting on it. Bears are going in and out and you're seeing bears and yeah, it, it can be very gnarly. As a matter of fact, I've been on sitting on an illegal site when a bear was shot illegally. And I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, a, I almost filled my pants because when you hear a 30 odd six go off and you're not that far away, uh, unexpectedly. Yeah. That's, that's unnerving. And then he went out and I went into the bait site and the bed deer, the bear was bed, uh, dead there. And my, my Sergeant, uh, Doug at that time, he was for my Lieutenant. I referred to him well, had done something similar. He had cut off a nail, uh, of a bear to identify it. So I got that idea. So I took and I took my knife and I cut the nail off of that bear. So it was an identifier. Um, and I, I left the bear there. The guy, you know, ended up registering it, lied about where he shot it. And, uh, it actually, Kevin Jordan, he went to his house to register it. And I had given Kevin knowing he was coming, he had the other part of the nail of the, the bear. And, you know, he, he showed him that, you know, and the guy, I still don't believe to this day, you know, believes that we were there, but he was like, yeah, we were there and here, here's the nail. He thought he, he trimmed it off there and was playing a trick, but he, he wasn't, he, I gave him the nail that I clipped off during the case. The guy went out to get help to get the bear out. I clipped the nail off, uh, took pictures of the bear and, uh, squirreled back in my spot. We let him, uh, register it and let him lie on his, uh, form where he registered it and that was a misdemeanor by lying on that and he was informed that you know if any of this information was false on there it was an unsworn falsification and he would be charged with a misdemeanor and then he signed it and he got charged with a misdemeanor because he was lying <laughs> um that was a really good case so um but those are unnerving cases but they're they're good investigations that first bear case that we did you know surveillance on for a long time, uh, there was three search warrants executed simultaneously. Trucks were seized. Freezers were seized. I think we made seven different deer cases because uh, we, we, we did all the DNA coming out of the freezers. So we DNA'd everything. There was seven deer in there, and they couldn't provide tags or any legal reason they had these deer. So we charged them with all unlawful possession of these deer. Um, the, the bears that they had shot, uh, it, it was an epic thing. We seized the truck. It was a company truck. It was a, he had, the guy who worked for a company used the company truck to haul these bears out that we seized it. So as you can imagine, uh, his company was not real happy that the company truck had been seized and was impounded. 
Um, yeah, so um, th- those are those are really cool cases, um, especially when they get so big and you've got all these officers working together. So you execute search warrants at the same time. So you're knocking on doors. So calls when calls are made, if they're made, they're like, yeah, the game warden's here. So, um, yeah, I've been in a, a suspect's uh, Jeep. He was taking me to a kill site when his grandmother flags him down and tells him that the game warden, the game warden's looking for him. Um, again, a generational. And he's like, yeah, I got him right here. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat of his vehicle as he's bringing me back to the kill site. That was kind of funny, too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I love the investigations. I love peeling back that onion and finding that source and then making the case and then interviewing people and getting confessions out of them if, if you can. Um, but sometimes you get all the evidence and you just have to present the evidence to the judge and convince him that there's, uh, you know, that there's, there's evidence there enough to convict the person if they don't give it up. What What's the average length of an investigation and then what is your longest one? Oh, my goodness, Garrett. I don't think there is an average length. I mean, some are quick and easy. You know, you can get it done in a day, and some are years. Um, you know, just putting it together. Some of these illegal bait sites are years. I mean, you put a lot of effort into it. And it's knowing when to pull the trigger um on these cases do you have enough do you want to go into next season you know what are you going to get by going into the next season with this investigation um you know that that that, those are hard decisions to make uh generally when i get enough you know i don't want to push the case because they're going to be killing you know illegal game the next year so that's the difference between us and you know a normal police officer if you kill a deer even if you kill a doe, you're, you're probably killing three deer because she's going to probably have twins. Um, so you're, you're taking that animal out of the reproductive track, let's say. So you're not just killing one deer, you're killing three deer. And if you're killing that big buck illegal, you're putting you're killing that DNA that can be spread around in there. So other guys can have opportunities that, you know, big deer that are going to pass generational. And to replace that big buck, it takes time. So that's that's the thing so and you got to play that when you're when you get these cases so if you got enough for it i always pulled the trigger on it and didn't push it on but sometimes you got you're working something an illegal bait and it's just not coming together and you got to push it off to the next year so or you get information and you got to put it in your back pocket till the next year so or you got too much going on and you can't even investigate this case um, because you don't have time to it. So you put it off till the next year. Um, so, uh, you know, I've had cases run three years because um, that's usually the statute of limitation on a big game case. So once you, you know, once you pull the trigger, it, you know, so three years would probably be the maximum. And we've run cases that long for sure. Uh, Todd Shefchuk that came on with me, that guy, talk about an investigator. He used to keep his files and the last month. So the three years statute of limitations would be coming up. He would, he would have all these interviews that he did three years ago. He'd go back and re-interview the people. Well, if you're telling the truth, you're going to remember it. If you're telling a lie, you don't remember the lie you told three years ago. True. And 
that guy made more cases in the last months of the statute of limitations than anybody I've ever known. And he would go back and he would re-interview these people and it would be so different. So he'd get written statements from them again. And then after Joe signed it again and they would be buffooned that, you know, this is three years ago. He's like, yeah, yeah. So it's still open case. And, you know, and then he'd show them what they said three years ago and they would confess, you know, not okay, even you got not even close, you know, they couldn't remember. They can't remember which way the deer was going, which side it was, you know, where they, where they shot it from, you know, it's just got crazy. Um, which my hat's off to him. I never did that. Uh, I wish I had someone when I found out how successful he was doing that, because that's, that's a great idea. Um, and if you tell the truth, guess what? It's easy. Yeah. I told you that three years ago. Boom, 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 boom. So, you know, but the lies are like, Oh, what, what story did I tell? I, I can't, you can't remember a lie. Yeah. It's just a fact. So that's what I always tell my kid. I'll know you're lying. Cause I'm going to ask you, you know, two weeks down the road. And if you tell me a different story, I know it's lying. No. So- so what was what's the one that got away? Like what's the biggest case you thought you're going to get or really wanted, but it just didn't happen? There's too many that got away, Garrett. There really is. I those 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 cases haunt me. I hate them. I hate them. I had I had three moose shot one year, all with a 12 gauge shotgun. Um, one a calf was shot, and I sat on that stupid moose because um, I figured they were coming back for it. So. I, we found somebody found the calf that day. It just been shot, so I sat on it, hoping they were going to come back and retrieve that calf moose. What I got was a very angry cow moose. And you want to talk about bears in the woods at night? Frigging cow moose uh, that are pissed off in the night. That not very, very good. That's very dangerous and very unnerving. Especially, you know, I, I could hear this thing coming around. It was circling me, circling me. Finally, I put the light on her, and she's drinking way too close to me. And I'm, I'm doing the circles around the tree with her, you know, because she's not happy. Her ears are laid back, and, and I'm there. And I'm doing the, hey, I'm here to help. You know, I'm trying to find out who killed your calf. I'm having this conversation <laughs> with the moose in the woods. As I'm circling this pine tree, you know, and she's she's trying to square off with me. And finally, she gives up. But I'll tell you, gnarly. Um, yeah. So I'm sure the same guy shot those moose, and, and I never was able to put that one together. Um, shotgun, you know, I had shell casings. I just never was able to develop a suspect. Um, yeah. So, and one of the other guys that I told you that has changed because he's had kids, I never caught him either, and that was kind of sucky too. So I was, and, and yeah. <laughs> and he actually poached a deer because when I got when I was shot in the line of duty, I was out for a year. He actually shot a deer because I was gone. Um, cause it, <laughs> I, 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 I did end up getting his brother on another offense, but, um, JP, I never was able to put together and someday, you know, it's kind of like the, the sheep dog in the coyote. So, so to speak at this point. And, um, I like JP. I hate to say it now, <laughs> but he was definitely, uh, one of my number one poachers back in the day. Um, but we, 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 we've had, you know, beers and talked about it um, to some degree. I'd like some details. So, and we may have a sit down and have a podcast with JP if I can get some details out of him. So, tell you how that close he be, got. How close I got. And, uh, you know, I was trying to help out. My lieutenant actually investigated the one that got shot the day after the season. Not too far from JP's house either. And he did that. And I'm like, 
did you get tire you know tire imprints did you measure the distance between the tires so you can match it to the vehicle because you know you got tires and you can tell if it's a ford ranger or if it's a chevy truck by measuring the distance in the axles so go from tire to tire and then do a cross section and you can probably figure out what kind of truck hit that so now you get a tire tread that you can match on a vehicle and now you have a, a specific tread because this is this these are the measurements this is what it says so you can actually now get a specific vehicle now i can get a search warrant for that vehicle because so and so you know has blood in the back of his vehicle um, so you, you start putting this together. Um, uh, yeah, they didn't put it together. I was all wound up and I would have been really wound up, uh, had I been there because it, it started becoming personal. Um, uh, it's not anymore, but you know, it was, uh, I wanted to catch him really, really, really bad. So, and I was, I was close. He tells me I was close on several occasions. I just couldn't put it together. Um, so, and he thinks it's funny. I don't think it's too funny, but um, maybe we'll have a sit down and have a podcast with him. I, I, I haven't done that just because I think I'll get angry. <laughs> well, it'd be a good one for sure. I mean, you're the guy that was chasing yeah. him, and he's he's running from you. You're the one he was running from. So, I mean, it'd be a yep. good two point of view for it. That'd be a really good one. I'd definitely tune in for yeah. that one. And, and I don't know, depending, like you said, it depends the interviewee how open they are so i i did one interview with a with a guy that had violated i don't want to call him a poacher because he he takes that seriously he's he's turned himself around and he he's he's a he's a pretty good sportsman but he he was an epic poacher and he, he you know i thought it was gonna be a better podcast but he didn't open up as much as i think he could have or was willing to so he opened up, but not to a degree that I thought was there. So he tried to save face, which I guess I don't blame you in the, yeah. in the long run. So yeah, especially when you've changed your heart and you're no longer the poacher, you don't want to portray yourself as the poacher anymore. So yeah. it'll, it'll, that, that may be an interesting one. It may not. I'd like to sit down with a poacher that I have no contacts with and then pick his brain. You should so, uh, talk with uh, Charles Beatty, I think is his name. They call him the Prince of Poachers, and he poached a bunch of deer and animals off of uh, one of them. I think it's the King Ranch down in Texas, one of those giant ranches. He was on. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've probably heard of him if he's the Prince of Poachers. but Yeah, he, and he likes to talk about it. He likes to brag, so I don't yeah. think I'd ever talk to him. Oh, too, too uh, braggy. Too braggy. I gotcha. Too braggy. Yeah. I, yeah. And I've thought about that and I've listened to some of the podcasts he's been on and I'm like, yeah, I got no interest in talking to that guy. So yeah, just too braggy. A poacher, you know, the, the poachers I want to talk to, I'm going to have to have a few beers in them, I think. And I think <laughs> it'll be a really good conversation. Uh, and some of them are older and they may open up to somebody that, you know, isn't really in that realm. So, because it'll be interesting to sit down with JP and wonder how forthcoming he will. But it, it takes, you know, sometimes it's a personality. So, Poacher Haynes is, that's his nickname, Poacher Haynes. So, do you think he's a poacher? Possibly. I mean, that's what, it, that's what his nickname is. And, and I should sit down with him because he's got a really good personality and we have a good relationship. And he's actually has a good relationship with another game warden. So, and he used to drop grouse off at his house for him. And I swear they were probably poached. And (laughs) (laughs) 
So, but he dropped grouse off to his house so he'd have some grouse or his wife would cook some grouse. But I'm like, those are probably shot illegally or he's over his limit for the day and he decided to to, to, to give it to you. And Poacher Haynes said he would come clean uh, if I ever caught him. I never caught him. Uh, we caught his brother, went to knock down drag out trial and Poacher was there. And I'm like, I thought you were going to come clean. He goes, that's my brother, not me, Wayne. So, and I wouldn't have come clean if the other game warden caught me either. It was only you. <laughs> So, well, I should go talk to Mr. Haynes. He would be a good one. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, you got shot in the line of duty. Is that a story you'd be willing to share? Yeah. So, I was pretty young game warden in 1997. I was shot in the line of duty from a guy, um, probably like a, a, a sovereign citizen type. I can't really tell you he was he wasn't really related to a sovereign citizen. He was kind of a did his own thing, um, but he was didn't like to pay taxes. Had some feuds with the town. Had some grudges with selectmen, and uh, he had, was running a really piece of junk truck, and they were going to take the plates off his vehicle that day, and he ended up killing two troopers, the the judge who was also the selectman. Um, as well as somebody that tried to stop him. Dennis Jose was an editor for the News and Sentinel uh, newspaper in town, and he actually tried to stop him and was killed for trying to help. So um, I ran into him as he crossed into Vermont, and he stole the state police cruiser. So um, back then, the radio communication wasn't that great. Um, I'm hoping it's a little bit better now, but it's still isn't really up to snuff but so i had seen this the state police cruiser stolen went into the you know state of vermont actually we crossed the connecticut river and carl draga had set up an ambush for me so uh being a game warden i I crossed in the four ways there was a four-way intersection and i could see the one was you had to go underneath uh a train uh abutment um you know, a, not a tunnel, but just an under, but it was like a single vehicle go underneath the, the, the road type thing. So two cars can't pass at the same time under this underpass, I guess it is for the train. But I could see on the other side of the underpass, it was like dirt hanging in the air, like someone had just pulled in there. So it was dusty. It was August 19th, 1997. And I could see someone had just pulled in there. But again, that sixth sense had told me, there was something going on here that was beyond just a stolen state police cruiser, that it was odd. Um, so as I approached there, I kind of was taking my cruiser and I was going slow, just kind of creeping underneath the, the abutment there. And what I saw was uh, a state police cruiser in the back of it was a guy with a AR-15 pointed at me, but he also had the campaign hat of a trooper on his head. And it just kind of, uh, that, that messes with your mind, Garrett, when you see that stuff, because that stuff isn't supposed to be happening, especially with a state police cruiser and, and there's a Stetson on his head. And, um, and he shot me and he pulled the trigger and the first round hit my badge, uh, embedded into my chest. The round got deflected off my badge into my bicep and out my shoulder. So, and I actually, I started backing up really slow. I put it in reverse and I, I backed up and there was a store called the Banville store there. And there was a bunch of people there and I started yelling at them to get out of there. Um, 
and then I started taking on more rounds. So I took on six more rounds, seven shots total. And then my adrenaline dumped. Um, I put the, the pedal to the metal and I went across the intersection and I was treating, retreating back to New Hampshire, as I say it, but I hit this big mammoth tree on my way to the Connecticut river. Probably a good thing. Cause I would have launched myself probably, geez, those banks had to be 20 feet, 25 feet down right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing. I hit that tree and knocked that tree back significantly. So, but when I opened my door, I actually fell like 10 feet straight down, uh, out of my cruiser down to the banks of the Connecticut river. Um, yeah, I, I squirreled myself up and I set up an ambush for him. If he was coming to get me, um, I hadn't been there very long. Um, waiting for him to come because I figured he would come to make sure he finished the job and I was hiding in some raspberry bush there with my hand got out ready to engage him as he got really close and um, I heard my name being yelled so I dropped back down along the bank I, I moved my way back up and I met a, a police officer from Colebrook and uh, basically he got me he commandeered a, a vehicle off some of civilians and we off to the hospital we went um, yeah and I went to Colebrook, but I was out a year with that gunshot wound before I could come back in. So, so you got, was it seven total you got then? One of the badge and then six more? Or how many? One in the badge, nothing else ever hit me. It okay. was just the one in the badge into the bicep out the shoulder. My my arm was paralyzed. It wasn't working then. So it was probably, you know, all the nerves and everything were traumatized from having a, a 223 round go up through my uh, shoulder and stuff. But yeah, so none of those other rounds hit me. It was Maybe. just the initial first one. But my, my seat looked like Swiss cheese. The one thing I learned when I was going through uh, basic training in North Carolina to become a National Park Ranger, I learned cover and concealment. And one of the things they taught us was that, you know, the engine block is a good place to get behind for cover because, you know, not too many bullets will go behind the engine block. So once I started taking fire, I clutched down as far as I could get below. Um, and he, he riddled my seat with, with bullets. So there was bullet holes all through my seat. So, but I wasn't there. I was laying low. Um, Jeez. So, so if you wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have done that, it would have been a totally different story. Oh yeah. I would have, he would have hit me every time. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was a, he was a good shot and it was close. Probably. Yeah, probably 15 yards the first round, I'm thinking. So yep. I don't want to get in too much detail and drag up things, but when you when you got shot, did you, like, feel it immediately, or was it, like, shock right away? Or, like, did you just realize something was wrong and you tried to get out of there? Or, I guess I've never <laughs> been shot, so I don't even know what, yeah. what would even go no, through your it's, head. Uh, it goes in slow motion, man. It, everything you've heard, it, it does. Everything, like, time slows down, and it just – seems like it takes forever that you know it's probably milliseconds and yeah my brain comprehended that i had been shot um it was weird because i actually got forced back in my seat and they they say oh that's that's a bunch of baloney you never get hit you know see in the movies they get bounced back but they don't you know bullets don't do that well it it hit my badge so it actually pushed me back into my seat embedded that badge in my chest to this day i have a little tattoo of a bad shape in there because it cut open and you can see it. So, and then it went from there and it went right into my bicep. You know, you can probably see my scars. Yeah. So yeah. my bicep and exit in my shoulder. So, um, yeah, I knew I was hit for sure. 
Um, I had dropped the mode of my right hand. I had dropped it in reverse and, and backed up really, really slow. I mean, he was probably kind of wondering what the heck's going on because I backed up slow um, just to try to clear that storefront, um, you know, so those people wouldn't get shot either. I'm not sure if he would engage them or not. I don't, I, I don't know. He wasn't, unless you bugged him, he wasn't going to bug you, I don't think. But, you know, who knows what's in the mind of a killer. So, but yeah. Wow. So I did get pushed back and I did recognize that I had been shot, but it was, it was weird because I said to my mind, uh, in my mind, I'm like, I've been shot. So, wow. But I didn't realize it. And this is funny because I did a podcast on my shooting too. And I never really looked at it from somebody else's perspective. There's a bit of book written about it called in the, in the evil day. Um, and I interviewed the author and I read the book prior to doing the podcast and yeah, it was, um, <laughs> I, I, I looked at, at it from a different angle from somebody else's and I never looked from the outside in. I always looked from the inside out. So what they were seeing, you know, I was soaked with blood, you know, it was, a, I had to look like a mess and the officer that, that got me kept telling me, I'm not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. And I said, I know I'm not going to die. And I didn't even have the inclination that I was going to die, but he had just known, he had just watched two people get killed. And now he's looking at a blood soaked uniform. My arm's not working, you know, and I'm sure he saw that chest thing thinking I had a chest, you know, a chest wound. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So he, and he kept telling me I'm not going to die. And his priority was to get me to the hospital. So it was really strange. You know, we're, we're talking like 20, you know, something years later that I actually, looked from a different perspective and saw something different. Did they, they engage him right there underneath the bridge then? Was he still there when everybody else showed up or did he keep oh, no. going? No, he left. Um, and that, that scene was done. He didn't even come to, to my cruiser to see if he'd hit me or not. He left and then he set up another ambush. So he, he parked the, the cruiser down there. He took, um, his, his shirt, he had a plaid shirt on and he laid it over the steering wheel like maybe he had committed suicide, so they might see that. Uh, and then he went up on a bank, and he actually had the Stetson on still, um, or had it with him at the time, and laid an ambush for people going to the cruiser. So there was some farmers that located the cruiser, and the, the actual the farmers that owned the land located it. They went back up to the command post where other people went down, and uh, they had a canine in the group, which saved their lives because the canine keyed on his position in the ambush position on the side hill. Um, so when the canine engaged that, the, the shootout began, and uh, he was killed in that shootout. But there was um, one, two, three other people wounded, and some significantly. Um, State Trooper Jeff Calder was shot, and uh, another Border Patrol um John Pfeiffer was a uh, border patrol shoot was shot in the lung. So, um, and, uh, trooper Calder was shot in the pelvis. So they were laying there under gunfire, um, still engaging this guy when the rescue crew came in and to get them out and they engaged Carl Draga and they ended up killing him. Um, and they don't even know who killed him because there was two two gun wounds to him, and it had to be simultaneously a three oh eight in the mouth and I think a shotgun to the neck, so simultaneously, uh, or maybe it was the chest. 
simultaneously because he was upright when they both hit. So, wow, yeah, harrowing story. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I'm glad you made it through it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Garrett. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to end it on a downer like that. So before we no. go, do you uh, do you want to tell people about uh, Operation Game Thief and uh, the Crime Stoppers? What all that's about? Yeah, so like I said, the best cases I ever had were based on information. So I think it's really important that people know how to report wildlife crime. So my engagement with Operation Game Thief in every state and province has a way to report wildlife crime. Um, and now I'm the, the new interim executive director for International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, which is kind of like the parent to Operation Game Thieves, tips turn into poacher. Um, we kind of support those. We, we do grants for um, these trailers you see that tell people about wildlife crime um, apprehensions. We put, you know, poach deer in them, poach moose in them, um, illegal activities. So we can talk about it to the general public because half of the, half of the problem is getting the information to the public. So our state has the number on your license. So operation game, the phone numbers there, we just came up with an app, uh, NHOGT. So now you can text NHOGT a tip and you can be anonymous with these things too. It's great. Um, so if you see something, say something, you know, the old term used to be a rat to turn people in. That's, that's gone by the wayside. Um, in my, my, my opinion, you're a hero if you turn somebody in. Um, and you can do it anonymously too. We've had wives turn in husbands. We've had, you know, <laughs> kids turn in parents and things like that. Um, and so it's anonymous. Uh, so it's great. So you can just give it in that new, new app is really good. Because you can remain anonymous, yet you can take a picture of it. You can geolocate it. So it, it's pretty handy, especially like on illegal baits and stuff. Because I will tell you, when you go back into a scene, I always bring people with me because I can never find it based on their directions. So I always like to drag them in there. So it's going to be really a game changer if people can take a picture of it and then geolocate it. So now I got a GPS location I can go to. So that's really important. So International Wildlife Crime Stoppers is kind of the parent to those things. So as the executive director, I raise money so we can support all these other agencies with training, with uh, current trends, with uh, information on how to make their operation game thieves better, uh, more communicable. So um, that that's pretty good. Uh, and to bring uh, these uh, other nonprofit uh, groups in as strategic partners. So the NWTF, National Wild Turkey uh, Federation, is a strategic partner with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Because if you look at what all these nonprofit groups do for wildlife it's awesome you know the rocky mountain elk foundation's a member as well a strategic partner they support us financially because within their management plans they can buy land they can hire biologists but they can't hire a game warden they have to work within the system so what they can do is support game wardens and that's what they can do by supporting international wildlife crime stoppers because most members are state agencies uh to, to work together for the common good so I think that's really important that, you know, those two are, are strategic partners with us and support us financially as well as, you know, individually. So when I went to down to NWTF, I opened up the law enforcement segment. They did some law enforcement training 
four officers there. They recognize officers as officers of the year. And then they select an officer for all 50 states as the officer of the year for NWTF, which is a, a massive honor. So, and I was able to uh, podcast with uh, the, this year's winner uh, for the NWTF, which happens to be the, the first woman uh, that has won it, which is pretty awesome to, to be able to. And I actually sat next to her prior to um, her winning the award. And then we ended up podcasting later. So Adrian uh, Hunter uh, won that. So that was, that was pretty cool and a pretty good honor. So, and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is also a strategic partner with us and supports us and it completes their management plan because let's face it, the North American wildlife, um, plan, it's pretty cool because it's, it's preserving, managing, and then hunters, uh, put money back into the system for conservation. So it's been the, one of the most successful conservation plans in the world. So it's pretty cool. And I, I really, my hat's off to these nonprofit organizations that do these things, but then they recognize that, Hey, we can, we can buy all the land we want. We can hire all the biologists, but without law enforcement, we can't be effective. So they recognize that piece of the pie, that piece of the puzzle. And then they come to international wildlife crime stoppers and said, Hey, we we can't hire game wardens, but you guys support them. You support these tip lines, um, we want to support you guys to, th- to support them. So you complete our management plan by being our law enforcement segment, which is really good. And, you know, guys like you, Garrett, you can go to International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and I think you can become a member for like 20 bucks or something. So you can support us as well. So it's an individual basis. It's a nonprofit basis. It's an industrial basis. It's, uh, you know, educational. I, I'm, I'm a teacher at a, a local community college that has a conservation law pro, uh, program. So now I'm getting colleges involved with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. My, my college just became a member. Hudson University is becoming a member. And now I'm reaching out to colleges because I think that's a pretty important segment to be a membership with us so we can pass on that education and have a relationship with educational institutes for international wildlife crime stoppers so we can convey what our what our mission is and and how we can effectively do that as a part of that conservation plan okay makes sense is that is that twenty dollars just like a one-time twenty dollars or is it a yearly like a subscription? I think it's, a, it's an annual it's okay. an annual thing twenty dollars annually so and i'm pretty sure it's twenty dollars don't quote me but i'm pretty oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah and then now you're you're contributing to it, and it's great. I, I think it's very important that we all contribute to you know the law enforcement segment of it um, because we contribute to the other things a, by buying a license, and you do that for the law enforcement as well. But if you're part of you know the NWTF, and if you're part of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they're contributing too. But you can do it as an individual too to support wildlife conservation, law enforcement. That's a good one. $20 ain't nothing. Remember that, guys. When you're looking to spend $20, buy a 30 rack of beer. Do this instead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you go to internationalwildlifecrimestoppers.org, go to the membership, click on that, and check it out. There's also some really good uh, cases there you can read about. Uh, you can read about some of our missions, our conferences coming up in Utah here in uh, July. 
So there's a, there's a lot of exciting things we do um, there. Okay. Well, if the people want to hear more of your voice, where do they hear you on your podcast? Yeah, so anywhere that this podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wardenswatch.com. You can go on there, put your email in there. You'll get notified every time that we drop a podcast. Uh, so lots of game warden stories. Uh, we do within that the thin green line that's people that support law, conservation law enforcement as well. So there's some other interesting interviews within that as well. Uh, but usually game warden stories uh, and related things. Uh, for the 100th, we interviewed C.J. Box, who writes uh, game warden stories with Joe Pickett, who's uh, on Paramount Plus, on the Joe Pickett series there. That was kind of epic, I will say that. Uh, it was kind of neat to um, interview him, and it, it, was, it was cool. Uh, I enjoyed that one for sure. And uh, there's going to be more things like that in the future for sure. Uh, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. And I think it's been educational. Um, so, and I, and I hope so. So yeah, follow Warden's Watch, uh, the Warden's Watch podcast. And as you know, if you write a review or hit that plus, so you follow, it certainly helps you. And I hope you guys are all doing that for, for Garrett on the Woods and Water podcast is following him, hitting that little plus sign, writing a review because these algorithms, it's weird. The more positive reviews, the more they promote it for themselves, promote it to those people they think that might be interested in it. It ends up in their, in their playlist, so to speak, like on Spotify or something. Um, but it, it needs to, to have good reviews. So, um, and then the more reviews you have, the better off you are, because if three people say you got a 4.9, which I'm currently at, <laughs> um, you know, there's 300 people that that's significant compared to three people saying it's a five Oh, um, so the more, the better. So, um, and that goes for the warden's watch podcast and the woods and water podcast for sure. I know I'm going to go on there and comment on Garrett and uh, give him a good little plus there. Well, thank so you. Help him out. Um, there, if you do that and you're following the Instagram page, you get signed up or doing a little giveaway with some uh, soft plastic swim baits and stuff. I had a couple of companies, Bulldog Baits, Stump Thumper Baits, and Patco. And so if you're uh, following the show and you give it a rating and then you tag three people pretty much in the comment in the comments on a post I made, it's like at the top of the page on the Instagram page, uh, you get entered into the drawing and yeah, it's like a, it's a fishing backpack. So it comes like four of those uh, clear tackle boxes for the little clear ones. And then it's a backpack and you have a bunch of swim baits and stuff like that. So there That's you go. Cool. Now you got a, now you got an extra reason to do it. You're already halfway there, <laughs> but, um, well, thanks for staying up late and doing this with me. It was an honor. I really enjoyed it. We went a little bit longer than we were supposed to. My wife let me know that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all though. That's always the way it is with podcasts for sure. Yeah. No, very happy to do it, Garrett. And uh, good luck and good job. All right. Thank you. You have a good night. You too.